This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man with a reminder that the kitchen closes at 9 p.m. sharp. Here is the captain. I'm showing up with the intensity of Lamar Jackson. It's good to be seen. Good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are very excited to be featuring downtime wheat beer from Bulldog Brewing Company in Northwest Indiana, not too far from Wolf Lake Memorial Park. This delectable, unfiltered beer has hints of clove and banana, and downtime is made with some of the finest barley, malt, and wheat, brewed to refresh after a hard day's work. Garage grade four and a quarter, bottle caps out of five, and let's give a big shout out to our friend, Nikki from Anaheim, California, for helping us fill up the fridge this week. If you want to help us fill up the fridge next week, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the pint glass. Yeah, B W E N beer run. If you haven't picked up the Colonel's book, you need to do so. I recommend it on Audible. I absolutely loved it. I thought uh, Kevin Pierce, is that his name, that narrated it, did a great job. Fabulous. And you can find his book. Just go to Amazon and search Nick Edwards. That's spelled N-I-C. And you won't be disappointed. It's the best true crime read of the year for, for this guy right here. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody. Gather around. Grab a chair. Grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Tracy Bradley told police 
police that when she arrived at her apartment, she could not find her daughters, but instead she found a note. And she says that 10 year old Tiana wrote this note and had left it for her. Tracy says when she gets to the apartment on Friday, she finds this note sitting on the back of her couch. She was able to produce this note for investigators and hand it over to the Chicago police. The note in childish handwriting said Tianda and Diamond were leaving the apartment to walk to a nearby school playground and the Jewel Osco store in the Lake Meadows shopping center. Tianda was enrolled in a summer school program at a nearby elementary school. But remember, her mom told her that she could not go to school that day because she had to stay home and babysit three-year-old Diamond. Summer school ran every day from breakfast time at 8.30 a.m. until classes ended at 12.30 p.m. Tianda was marked absent that day for the first time ever, according to records. So this was not a typical thing that she's making Tianda stay home to watch Diamond. The note said that she was bringing Diamond along with her to head over to the playground. So they did not know. Tracy Bradley, the mom, and friends and family did not know exactly which playground. It didn't specify. The note didn't clarify what playground this was just that it was a school playground. And so she made the assumption that it was the playground of the elementary school where Tianda was going to the summer program. That makes the most sense. According to the personnel working at that school, they say that they had not seen Tianda obviously at the school because she's marked absent, but also never saw her at any time that day on their playground. We do know that the school called the Bradley apartment at 10, 10 a.m. And they received no answer as well. So this is where you start to think, all right, okay, mom produces this note. We know that mom goes off to work at a quarter to seven. We have the school calling at 10, 10 a.m. We're starting to shrink our window a little bit, right, Captain? If something happened to the girls, if they left that apartment by themselves, or if they left with somebody else, it would seem to stand to reason that they probably left before this 10, 10 a.m. call. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense. Now, we do know this, that there was no time written on the note. Tracy said that she immediately went to the Jewel Osco store and immediately to the playground looking for her girls once she found the note. She checked with neighbors and called family. Her sister Faith helped her search the neighborhood and then finally she called the police at six-ish or maybe seven-ish, depending on what report you read. Note, again, we keep circling back to this, that Tracy took about five, maybe six and a half hours to summon the police. Yeah, but once she starts talking to police, she's not being truthful. Do we have any indication from law enforcement that the mother turned this note over to law enforcement? Remember, she did. She produced the note and did, in fact, hand it over to law enforcement. And, in fact, in a statement that she gave to the USA Today, she says, quote, I taught my kids damn well, and my kids wouldn't just up and leave and then leave a note, end quote. This is very interesting about this whole note thing, and I think that this may point to something else going on 
in this situation. So the extended family said that, yes, the note is legit. However, we got to question how legit the note is because the, the family is saying, look, law enforcement, yeah, here's this note. We believe that Tianda, the 10-year-old, did write the note. This is her handwriting. Right. However, we don't think that she wrote this note by herself. We think that somebody told her what to write. Somebody was coaching her what to write. Right. Because the families, these are grown-ups, they're telling the police and the investigators, look, all of the spelling is correct and the grammar is not that of 10-year-old Tianda. So basically what they're saying is she wouldn't have been able to spell these words without some help. Probably some of the words. In fact, we have a direct quote from one of the family members saying, her writing a full letter with correct grammar, question mark, it's not appropriate for her. Keep in mind, she's only 10 years old. And the family member went on to say, I'm quite sure whoever took them, she was very comfortable with them. That's so sad. That's interesting. Because Tianda's 10 years old. She's in charge of a little three-year-old diamond. If you are going to take these girls, you're either going to have to fight Tianda or you're going to have to convince her that it's okay to leave with me or leave with us. And, oh, by the way, I need you to write this note. We we should probably leave a note for, for mom when she gets home and she doesn't find you. Uh, in case she gets worried, so she won't worry. I'll have you back to the apartment in no time at all, but just in case mom comes home, let's write her out a nice little note. But their aunt had more to say about this note, right? Correct. Remember, she's on the Nancy Grace show mm-hmm. talking about the note. Sheila says, I had told the investigators early on when I first arrived on the scene that if that note was written, that it was coached. She was coerced, meaning Tianda. And she was told exactly what to write. Nancy Grace says, why do you say that, Sheila? Sheila responds, well, because Tiana had access to her mom's cell phone. Remember, Tracy's at work with her cell phone. And Sheila goes on to say, Tiana had access to her grandmother's phone number and other families' phone numbers. And we also found a letter that Tiana had written about six months prior to that saying that grammatically the structure of the previous note, previous letter was nothing like the one that was left that day on the couch. We have a family member and this is backed up later by other family members. And all the while Tracy is saying the same thing. My kids don't leave notes for me. If they need to get a hold of me, they call me on my cell phone. If they can't get a hold of me, they call grandma's number. They call other family members' phones. This is the way that things went down in our apartment. Well, let's unpack this for a second because if I have a three-year-old and a 10-year-old, why would we, if, if I'm abducting them, why am I leaving a note anyways? To buy time. If you're, I mean, I understand why you wouldn't want them to call their mother because you can't control what that 10 year old's going to say. You can't say, call your mom and all, oh, by the way, don't tell her it's me that's here. Right. Don't call your grandma uh, because, you know, I can't control what you're going to tell your grandma on the phone. I get why there's no call made to the mom or the grandmother, but it seems odd to me that somebody would 
coach them into coach them into writing a letter that I don't I don't see how it buys you much time. You're not thinking like a criminal. You're not thinking like somebody that needs to hide something that would be very bad for them to be caught with. So if the child writes a note, instinctively, most parents are going to go, darn kid, left the house, told him not to leave the house. They went to the playground. Makes sense. Kids go to the playground all the time. Went to the nearest convenience store. Makes sense. Kids go to the convenience store all the time. Guess what happens with most parents at this point in the ball game, they don't pick up the phone and call police. They go to the playground. They don't pick up the phone and call police. They go to the store. Now you've just bought yourself some time and you're probably wanting to get those kids as far away from that apartment as you can or conceal them because you do know at some point that people will be looking for these children and it won't just be mom anymore. It will be law enforcement the people that you do not want to find you with these kids. Well, it makes more sense because like you were saying, the two locations. Exactly. I mean, but that's a pretty high level of sophistication. Don't you think? I don't know. I, I, I don't know because it's, it's because rather of the two locations. Hey, if I put multiple locations, they're going to go look at the playground. Then they might go to the convenience store and then, if they're at the playground or if they're at the convenience store and they can't find them, they might be going, oh, well, maybe they're back at the playground. I think that what happened here is that we either have somebody that planned to take the little girls because they may have known in advance that they were going to be alone that day. And if, in fact, they knew in advance, then that means they are very close to this family, very close to this mother. Could even be working in cahoots with the mother. The other thing you have here is if somebody didn't plan it prior to that morning or prior to learning of that the girls would be alone that day on that day, then what we have here is we have somebody that these girls knew well enough that they either let them into the apartment or had access to get into the apartment and knew the family well enough to say that these are the places that the kids went because they were places that this person knew that they had gone before. And keep in mind, if you are abducting children from a, we already talked about the population in this area. This is the middle of the day. You are likely to be seen leaving with these girls. You do not want to be seen running out of the building with them in your arms, kicking and screaming. No. You want them to think that you're taking them somewhere that they enjoy going. You're here all day by yourself. Well, that's got to be boring. Let's go down to the playground for a little bit. Let's go over to the store. I'll get you some juice and some candy. Right. We'll have a good old time. We'll pass the time. I'll have you back here before mom even shows up. But just in case, kids, let's write mom a note and tell her where we're going. We don't want her to worry. And of course, Tiana's 10 years old. She's smart enough to know I can't be writing mom a note saying we're going to X and Y while this dude or this lady already told me that we're going to A and B. That's not registering. That doesn't make any sense. That raises flags. 
So I think what you have here, Captain, is a situation somebody's covering their tracks, somebody's buying time, and I think that that you have one of two situations. Either this person knew in advance that they were going to be alone that day or figured it out on that day and came up with a plan. But if I'm reading you right, you're also saying that this isn't excluding the possibility of the involvement that their mother or the boyfriend has something to do with it. Correct, because... Those two would have known for certain that the two girls would be home alone that day. They likely knew in advance the night before that the two girls would be home alone that day. That's when you got to start narrowing this down. Okay, was it somebody that spotted the mom and the boyfriend leaving and figured out, oh, there's kids alone in that apartment? I don't know if it's four, three, two, or one kids, but there's kids alone in that apartment, and I'm interested in that. Or. There's very few people, very few people on this list that would have known prior to that morning that there would be kids left alone in that apartment. And if there was some plan put in place in advance, then you you have to believe it can be traced back to one or multiple people in that small group that knew the day before or even days before that the girls might be home alone that day. The police very astutely captain made Tracy write this message, the same little note over and over and over again, because they wanted to decide if Tracy had wrote this note and tried to pass it off as Tionda wrote the note. Eventually the note is sent to the FBI for analysis in comparison to other writings by the little girl. Now I know how suspicious everybody probably is of Tracy at this point, But this is just fact, people. The FBI came back, and according to their experts, they concluded that Tionda did, in fact, did, in fact, write that note. Further, they concluded that Tionda's fingerprints were on the note as well. So the note is legit. I side with Sheila, our champion, and the extended family that say that this note was probably coerced and coached by somebody else. So it was beginning to look like Tracy's story might've been spot on. Tiana decided to take her little sister with her and left her mom a note. But again, you have to say, was this coerced? And I think that it was based off of everything, everything that all of the other family members are saying. I think one of the reasons why this case has been covered, like you said, it was covered in the, Oprah magazine or the Oprah publication is the more you learn about the events, the more you learn about the people involved, the more questions you have. It feels like you just, you don't come to like a dead end where you, where a question is solved in perfect scenarios Okay, law enforcement is telling us that the 10-year-old wrote the note. But that doesn't tell us if somebody helped her, somebody coached her. We know from family members that the main line of communication would have been through cell phones, not just to the mother, but to also to the grandmother. In that same Oprah Daily article, you have one of the older daughters, slightly older daughter of Tracy's. Her name is Rita. Listen to this quote. 
She says, we never in our lives wrote a letter for our mom. If we needed to get a hold of mom, we called her on her phone. Now, listen to this. We know, according to Tracy Bradley, what she told law enforcement, she said to law enforcement, look, I, yes, I left my little ones home alone that day, but I told them don't open the door for anybody. And if something comes up, call me, just call me. Well, something must have come up because later in the investigation, we find out that Tianda did call Tracy Bradley while she was at work. However, Tracy didn't pick up the phone. It goes to voicemail. So a few days after the girls vanished, Captain, Tracy gave her cell phone to her mother. Her mother's name is Mary Bradley. It's unclear why she gave the phone to her mother, but her mom had the phone a few days after the girls were missing. And according to the family, there's 10 of them that are sitting around trying to figure out how to find the girls. They're having a, a family meeting. How do we find these little girls. Right. That makes sense. One of the family members looks at Tracy's phone and notices that she has a voicemail that has not been listened to yet. Now we're all guilty of this, right? We get a voicemail. We fail to listen to it right away. When we get it, time goes by. We kind of forget about it. I have thousands of them. Maybe we didn't even notice that we missed a call. That's what happens to me. I set my phone down. I don't even notice that I missed the call. Sometimes I don't even notice that I have a voicemail. Well, what we have going on here, though, is the family says that they checked the voicemail and the voicemail was from Tianda, the missing 10-year-old girl. And the call came in at 817 on the day that the two girls disappeared. What did it say? 10 extended family members say that they heard this voicemail all together. It was played out loud. All 10 of them that were in their family meeting that day, trying to find the girls come up with a way how to find the girls heard this voicemail together. Sheila summed it up on her appearance on Nancy Grace. And she says, the message said, mama, this is Tianda mom. Pick up the phone. George is at the door. Can I open the door? He said that we are going to Jules to pick up the cake there. We're coming to pick you up from work. Mm. Here's the problem. There's many problems. This story makes some sense. Yeah. The, one of the other sisters, Victoria, her birthday was the next day. So was 10-year-old Tianda talking about George Washington, who had just dropped mom off at work at a quarter to seven, that he's outside the apartment at the door. She's calling mom. Can I open up the door? George says that we're going to Jules, that convenience store, that store, nearby store to pick up a cake. Makes sense to the 10 year old. Her sister's birthday's the next day. Yeah. And if George is saying, Hey, we're going to go to the play at the park and then we're going to go to the store and she tries to call mom and nobody answers. And then she goes, I'll just write a note. I'll make sure I write a note. According to the media captain, this voicemail somehow got erased. So the Chicago police department has never addressed how this happened. Uh, according to the family and according to police, they said they did hear the voicemail and somehow it got erased. If 10 members of a family all tell the same story, I have no reason to believe that they're lying. 
Well, we don't have to question them because we do have the Chicago Police Department saying we heard the voicemail. They heard it as well. It sounds to me like the voicemail got erased once the phone was given to the police department. You know, sometimes when you're talking, I should pay a little bit more attention. Hey, Um, you don't know how you missed that. And apparently the Chicago Police Department does not know how the voicemail got erased. They they never address this publicly other than to say that they heard the voicemail. Yeah, but I wonder if it's one of those things, if it was played so many times and you don't hit save every time, you know, if it just goes away, who who knows? You got to get one of these uh, digital forensic people in your big giant police department there in one of the largest cities in the United States to help you work a phone. <laughs> yeah, but does it even matter? If, if 10 people from the family know what it says right, you're right, and law yeah. enforcement knows what it says, then... George has a lot of answering to do. As a wise man once said, you are absolutely right. Now, as you pointed out, the problem with this case is that there are it's a large equation, and there's a different argument for each item that we look at in this case. And here we have what we think is evidence of who we should be going after. However, we learn that there are, in fact, two Georgians. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless. With Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash T-C-G. That's mintmobile.com slash T-C-G. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash T-C-G. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. 
But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams. Now celebrating 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams is the originator of everyone's favorite Lux Home Blanket. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort, as its ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are each made with premium materials. Get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code PODCAST15. All right, we are back. Cheers, mates. I want to thank everybody that has been signing up and subscribing to Off the Record. Much appreciated. Colonel? I would like to point out here, Captain, that this Thursday, May 25th, 2023, is National Missing Children's Day. National Missing Children's Day has been commemorated in the United States on May 25th since 1983, When it was first proclaimed by President Ronald Reagan, it falls on the same day as International Missing Children's Day, which was established in 2001. And in fact, that would have been before Tianda and Diamond went missing. And we have partnered up with our good friends over at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in a fundraising effort to bringing kids home. If you would like to join us in our efforts, We ask that you go to the following web address, give.missingkids.org slash truecrimegarage. There is a page set up there for listeners of this show, and let's join in this effort together, and hopefully we can bring some children home. There will also be a link that you can click on our website, truecrimegarage.com, and we'll share all that stuff on social media. So if you're not following us, you can do so Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff at True Crime Garage. Tall cans in the air there, Captain. Cheers. Now, as we heard in Tracy's fourth story to the police, her on-again, off-again boyfriend, George Washington, came over sometime around 3 a.m., maybe 4 a.m. that morning on that Friday. The two spent some time together, and then Tracy got ready for work. George drove her to her job and dropped her off at work at about 6.30, 6.45 a.m. that morning. Now, we do need to tell all of the wonderful listeners out there that, yes, in fact, George Washington is, was Diamond's father. So, we hear this voicemail evidence. Did George head right back to the apartment to take care of his little girl for the day while mom was at work? Remember the voicemail? Right. George is here. Should I let him in? Was George playing the good, responsible father taking care of his child? Nope. Not according to Mr. George. George agreed to come in for questioning with police. Sat down for a series of interviews with police. Uh He spent two entire days being questioned. George told police that he never went back to the apartment, never saw the girls that day, nor did he participate in 
the searches for the girls when Tracy discovered that they were missing. He said it wasn't his problem because he did not believe that Diamond was his child. In fact, he said that he and Tracy had argued about who the father was, and he insisted on taking a paternity test. So it sounds to me, Captain, like we may have found out after the girls are missing that he is, in fact, the father of three-year-old Diamond. Well, congratulations, George, that you didn't come back to watch your daughter or the daughter that you weren't claiming. But where were you? Did somebody see you? Do you have an alibi? What? Where did you go? Well, and as said, he was questioned for two days, and then George lawyered up after that. And we had said earlier that there— <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Can't pay for their own kids, but hey, I could pay for a lawyer. Well, and I know something that you're worried about here, Captain. It's unclear whether George had any legit kind of alibi for the morning in question. This is from the Nancy Grace interview with a James Miller. He's a former detective who worked the case as a private investigator. Miller told Nancy Grace, the story goes that George Washington came about 4.30 in the morning to see Tracy, and they left together for about an hour and a half. They had about six in the morning. He had drove Tracy to work and then he went to his girlfriend's at around 97th street. And then he went and visited his mother. Then approximately around noon, I'm reading from the transcript. So forgive me, everybody out there. Grace, Nancy Grace interrupts Mr. Miller saying, wait, 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 what girlfriend top mom. You're talking about the boyfriend, George Washington, the boyfriend of the mom, right? Miller responds, you know, Tracy and George were boyfriend and girlfriend, but, you know, I don't know if they had a serious relationship or not. He says, the detective goes on to say, after Tracy's shift, he picked up Tracy with two co-workers. He then dropped them off at their various locations around 47th Street. Then he and Tracy drove back to the apartment. And there's more. This from the Oprah article. Police pulled George's cell phone records. He was on his phone a lot, but there were some spots, some time periods that he's not on the phone at all. So beginning at 4.30 a.m. on July 6th, he made at least 40 phone calls. Hot damn. Over a period of 24 hours. That's a lot. So from 4.30 a.m. on the 6th, when the girls go missing, to 4.30 a.m. on the 7th, he makes 40 phone calls in that 24-hour time period. There are two stretches during which he called no one. This is from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Remember what time did Tianda call her mother and leave a voicemail? A little after 8 a.m. Then from 5 p.m. to 6.30 p.m., he's not calling anyone, but his phone is actively pinging off of cell towers on the far south side of the city near multiple forest preserves. And a river. Which makes no sense on why he would be there unless he did something to these girls. I mean, think about it. You have all these arguments whether or not that's your daughter or not. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want a daughter, well, guess what? I'll just kill her. Dispose of the body. We won't have to have that argument ever again. Especially if we're talking about just the month prior, Captain, that we have the mother saying, look, this is your daughter, and she's filed paternity lawsuit against you. 
Yeah, because if you don't stick with her, you're going to be paying child support. Or, in some cases, you just pay child support anyways because you're not married. And so, what are you doing in these woods, Mr. George? Are you chopping down a cherry tree? Well, and I know that all the listeners are saying, but guys, you said that there are two Georges. Who is this other George? We need to consider him as a possible suspect as well. Well, you're exactly right. So this guy's name, we got George Washington, who we've talked about at length. The problem with this other George, he's referred to and described as a close family friend. And this is a guy that the girls and their sisters, the older sisters, had routinely gone over to this man's apartment. This for uh, to be babysat for a very brief period of time if Tracy had to run out and grab something. The problem with this other George is that he was known to the family at, by a nickname. And the family, Tracy's family, says... The girls, and remember, we have the two older sisters that, that that can tell us the same story and back all of this up. They all say, we never called him George. Some of the family didn't even know that that was his name, his right. first name. They all refer to him as by his nickname. So where you have to go, okay, well, we got two Georges here, and we got to question both of them, got to be concerned about both of them. One of the Georges is not looking so good right now uh, based off of his cell phone records. The other one is not looking so good as a suspect because everybody in the family is saying, we never called him George. Right. Tianda would not have said George is here. Well, and think about that. I mean, even even when you're 10 years old, when you hear somebody not call your mom mom, but they call her by her real name, it freaks you out a little bit. Like, oh, yeah. My mom's name isn't mom. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if you have a f- family friend that you've been calling, we have no way of knowing if she even knew this individual's name was George other than his nickname. And then listen to this. This is all from the Chicago Sun-Times summarizing a wicked long piece in the USA Today. In this piece... They did not name George Washington. They just left it as we got a suspect here. They don't name him, but of course we call it like it is here in the garage. So we will name George Washington. And the article reads as follows. Several pieces of evidence. This is actual evidence, Captain. Several pieces of evidence have pointed investigators in George's direction. For one, investigators found a hair matching Tianda and Tracy's DNA in his vehicle's trunk. He tells police that he would sneak the girls into the drive-in theater in the city, you know, put them in the trunk, sneak them in. Whole family goes and watches a movie in George's car. Uh, We do that so we don't have to pay for the two little ones. That sounds a little bullshitty. Well, the problem with this statement is, Not does it just sound like bullshit. It smells like bullshit, too, there, because the investigators are pointing out, look, the closest drive-in at the time is in the suburbs. It's not in the city. And then to back that up, Tracy's family saying, we've never heard of 
Tracy and the girls ever going to a drive-in movie theater. Yeah. So that story doesn't seem to hold a lot of water. Bullshit. Then George offered up to law enforcement conflicting stories about his actions on the day that the girls went missing. More bullshit. Four teenagers and three neighbors on that day said that they saw him setting fire to something in a 55-gallon drum in his backyard garage. So he's got an unattached garage to his home. He lives about 10 miles south of the girl's apartment. We have, according to this report, seven people that say on that day they saw him burning something in a five-gallon drum, not in his backyard, in the garage that's located in his backyard. Then we have some of those people saying that they saw him at some point putting a barrel into the trunk of his car and driving away with this barrel. Now, George, as we said earlier, is a welder and a machinist. He claimed that he had never burned anything in a drum or even had a drum barrel. But again, police are saying that they have persons that are saying that there was a barrel, and now after the girls are missing, this barrel is missing from his property as well. Well, I'd really love to know his explanation for the cell phone pings. Here's some other things you're going to want to know explanations for here, Captain. Yeah, just, you know, just, uh, why don't you just punch me in my goddamn face because you're really pissing me off. So armed with this information, police are going to search George's home and his property and his vehicle. And George said that he gave the investigators and surrendered the keys to his car and his house. Now investigators are saying in his garage, they found recently purchased rubber gloves, contractor trash bags and bleach all from a home Depot that investigators think could have been a way of cleaning up after the girls went missing. Police have the receipt for the purchase. So they go missing on the sixth on the seventh, George bought contractor trash bags, gardening gloves, and protective neoprene gloves. When police searched his home several days later, they find the receipt, and there are five bags missing from the roll, and the gardening gloves were not found at all. Remember, we have reports that say that he burned something in a 55-gallon drum, which then other witnesses say that they saw him loading this drum into his car, and that he left for about 45 minutes and he and his car come back to his home about 45 minutes after leaving with this 55 gallon drum. I have a big issue with George when he says, I didn't even own this barrel. So these eyewitnesses are just making that up. You see what I'm saying? Like it's, Seven it, it becomes way more suspicious because it's like, right. I would even buy, I don't really know what they're talking about. Maybe I own one. I I don't remember what I did with it. Anything other than that never existed. I never had one of those. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, and there's other proof, too, to back up some of these eyewitnesses' stories and statements. Police found burn marks at the top of his garage. Right. Smoke, heat, fire rises. And the witnesses say he was burning something not in the backyard, 
but inside the garage of his backyard. And later police find burn marks on the rafters and the ceiling of that garage. And why would you do that? Because you'd want to conceal what was in that barrel. And remember his prior statements to law enforcement. I did not have a 55 gallon drum. I did not burn anything. Um, somebody burnt something in this garage. Well, there's a lot of other people that police look into, but it's hard to turn away from George Washington. And then the other issue becomes because the mother isn't being that honest with anybody, let alone law enforcement. It makes you wonder, is she a part of this or, or is she just dumb and, and, and kind of, covering up for him or trying to protect him in in some way or some of this stuff too you wonder captain is she is she smart and just preoccupied with the fact that her kids are missing and might be an emotional wreck very distracted so but let's kind of piece all this together what we do have here is suspicious behavior and movements by george washington tianda leaving a voicemail for her mother saying that george is at the door so This is somebody that either through the door vocally identifies himself as George to the kids, or I don't know if there's a peephole or if there's a way for the children to see outside of the front door to the apartment. And she is visibly identifying this person as George to her mother on the voicemail. There's a, if it's not George Washington, there's a lot of coincidences here pointing to him. Right. And too many so that I think that that this has got to be the number one suspect. And we do know that at some point there were several people that pushed and pushed and pushed for prosecutors to charge George with the kidnappings. And they decided that there was not enough concrete evidence to charge George Washington with anything. But then I want to point out a few things that we've already kind of circled around before. I'm a little suspicious of anyone that would have known that the girls would have been alone in the apartment prior to the day that they went missing. Yeah. The sisters aren't there. The older sisters are conveniently not there and they're at grandma's house. Friends are over the night before to confirm that Tianda and Diamond are alive and well at 10 p.m. Thursday night. Then we have Tracy who goes off to work and tells four different stories when she comes home and does not find her kids, four different stories to police. And the thing is, it's, I feel like the best person, the best suspect is probably hiding right there in the shadows of one of these stories, one of mom's four stories to police. So who is missing from three of those stories? George, she tells three different stories before getting to the fourth story that includes George Washington's name to police. And then Tianda calls saying that George is at the door. George has suspicious behavior. His cell phone record activity looks strange. Does mom know? Is she covering for George? Is she purposely leaving George's name out of the equation early on in the investigation? The other thing, who else's name is? is missing from some of those stories. In fact, this person's name is missing from all of the stories. 
Sheila tells Nancy Grace, why would Tracy lie? Well, it's simple, Nancy. And I know and I believe in my heart of hearts that Sheila believes this. I believe in my heart of hearts that Tracy told her this. Sheila tells Nancy Grace, Tracy lied because a family friend, somebody close to our family who has had run-ins with Illinois Department of Child and Family Services told her, just go look for your kids. Don't call it in. Because if you tell them that you left your kids, your 10-year-old, your 3-year-old home alone that day while you went off to work, they're going to throw you in jail and or they're going to take your kids from you. Right. Well, that person is not mentioned by Tracy to police. That portion of the story of why she lied is not mentioned to police. Who is that person's name? Is that person George Washington? Who could that person be? Why would a person tell mom, don't call the police? For the same reason that somebody would coerce and coach a 10-year-old to write a note and leave a note for mom. The other thing, too, that we know that happened in this case there, Captain, is Wolf Lake Memorial Park was searched extensively on more than one occasion. We have witnesses that say that they saw George Washington burning something in a 55-gallon drum in his garage and then loading that drum up into the back of his car and driving off and then coming back without the drum 45 minutes later. Guess where Wolf Lake Memorial Park is? 22 to 24 minute drive from George's home. I think that police were on to something. I think that there's a chance that they were in the right location. This area is huge. This area is huge, and maybe it's just too big. Maybe they didn't find what they were looking for. And oh, by the way, Wolf Lake is huge itself. It's an 804-acre large lake. I would not be surprised that if George Washington dumped and disposed of a drum that contains significant evidence to this case, I would not be surprised if it's eventually found and recovered in that Wolf Lake Memorial Park. But I like to go back as as if I'm law enforcement. If, I, if I'm law enforcement and I have all these things pointing to this bag of shit, right? Cadaver dogs. Do they do they use them? Scent dogs. Do they use them? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if they use them, but they use they use canine units units looking right. for the girls that night and during the yeah. But the I'm, I'm guessing they're not looking for their bodies in those parks, and I, and I wish they would. And again, I think this is one of those situations, and that's why a lot of these other persons of interest, you know, this other George. Those kind of fall by the wayside because I think law enforcement, once they got on the scent of George Washington, and it's like, here, here's a situation where the victim, by leaving that voicemail, is giving you the information that you need to point you in the right direction. Now all you have to do is collect enough evidence to charge this monster, and he's a monster, to, to destroy a three-year-old, to dis- destroy a 10-year-old. I mean, 
I think it's one of those cases where all the evidence points in this direction, but can we prosecute them? You have to hope if in fact that, that somebody wanted to get rid of the two girls that maybe they gave them away rather than got rid of them. You, you have to hope and pray that that could be a possible scenario here. And that maybe if George is the best suspect that he was burning evidence rather than something else. FBI profiler Pat Brown spoke to Nancy Grace about this case. And before we get into what she said, we should point out that Tracy and George Washington said that they were going to be taking the two little girls on a camping trip. A lot of the family found this to be weird because it's my understanding that this was not a regular activity and that it may have never have happened before at least with George and the two little girls in George's defense, police did find evidence proof positive that he did in fact either purchase or borrow some camping equipment. This would indicate that maybe that there is some truth to that story that that weekend we were going to go camping. However, what police also did not uncover was any prior arrangements. They didn't reserve a campsite even though it's near 4th of July weekend, which 4th of July that that year was on a Wednesday. So the weekend prior and the weekend after are going to be very busy camping weekends. Now, maybe George Washington is not a camper and would not know it's in our best interest to reserve a site before we drive out there. But listen to this. Where they were supposedly going to go camping or according to George, where they were going to go camping was in Indiana. Wolf Lake Memorial Park sits right on the state line. It's about half in Indiana and half in Illinois. And we already pointed out the proximity to George, George's home to that park, to that large outdoor nature preserve. Pat Brown on Nancy Grace says that She believes that the aunt who has taken up the fight for these girls, Sheila, she says Sheila is exactly right. Sheila is right on the money. She believes this is not a stranger abduction. Pat Brown says, I believe it's not a stranger abduction. I believe that it goes right back to those Georges. Pat Brown says, my guess is George Washington, the father of Diamond, They ought to be looking there at him. And they also ought to be looking in Indiana where they supposedly were going camping. Why would that state come up into somebody's mind if they had never camped before? Indiana, look over there, and they're not going to be alive, sadly, Pat Brown says. Brown pointed out that if the girls were abducted by a random stranger— They would have been dumped within hours and the killer would not have been afraid to discard them in a public place because he had no link to them. We've talked about that plenty of times on this show. The closer the perp to the victim, the more effort that they put into concealing the body. She goes on to say someone took great care to hide these bodies. Someone who knew those girls were home alone. Someone who the girls were comfortable with. 
someone who either knew to pose as a guy named George or who was a guy named George. As the captain pointed out, the FBI is still offering a $10,000 reward for information about the Bradley sisters and their disappearance. A statement to Oprah Daily reads, The FBI is still actively providing investigative assistance to the Chicago Police Department with respect to the disappearance of Diamond and Tianda Bradley. There have been personnel changes at the Cook County State's Attorney's Office since the girls vanished, and many hope that a new regime will mean charges will be brought in this case. According to our friends at the Charlie Project, based off of information of when the girls went missing, Diamond is three foot 40 pounds, black hair, brown eyes. She has a scar on the left side of her hairline. She normally wears her hair braided in the back with four ponytails. Diamond has deep set eyes. 10 year old Tianda, four foot two, 70 pounds. Tianda has brown hair, brown eyes, has a quarter size burn scar on her left forearm. She had a scrape on her left calf at the time of her disappearance in July of 2001, and she normally wears her hair in long ponytails. She loved to dance and loved gymnastics. In 2021, to mark the 20th anniversary of Tianda and Diamond's disappearance, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released new age-progressed images of the girls. They have Tianda seen at 30 years of age and Diamond at 23. Age-enhanced images can be seen on our True Crime Garage National Center for Missing and Exploited Children fundraising page. Again, that web address is give.missingkids.org slash truecrimegarage. The FBI asks anyone with information about the disappearance of these girls to contact Chicago Police Department detectives at 312 347-8380 or your local FBI office. In a twist, in an update, there has been a female that has come forward on TikTok claiming that it's possible that she is the three-year-old girl that was missing and she has contacted the FBI to try to get DNA testing done. Now, the family came out and said, well, we've actually had at least a dozen girls come forward and say, I might've been one of the abducted girls or kidnapped girls, but none of them have gone as far as to contact the FBI to get DNA testing done. That just happened two days ago. So we will stay on that with any updates as far as if she is one of the missing girls or not. want to thank everybody for joining us here in the garage. Make sure you go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful listeners? This week we are recommending Aftermath of Jennifer Kessie's Abduction, an uncle's quest for understanding and inspiring life lessons by Bill Gilmore. 17 years ago, Bill Gilmore and all of the Kessies and their extended family went 
from watching the news to living a true crime story. Bill's niece Jennifer Kessie was abducted and vanished without a trace in Orlando, Florida. Gripped by sadness while grappling with brokenness, a pivotal invitation brought hope out of helplessness. As we all know, the true crime community can play a considerable advocacy role through compassionate and ethical coverage of individual cases and bring a collective loud voice to the conversation. And keep in mind, please keep in mind, that Jennifer Kessie is still missing and there is a reward for information or to help find her. And you can call in any information you have to the FBI at 866-838-1153 or call the crime line at 800-423-TIPS. That's tips. Go ahead and check out Aftermath of Jennifer Kessie's Abduction by Bill Gilmore. You can find that recommendation and many others on our website, truecrimegarage.com. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.